Trek Companion. This is episode 204. I'm your host, Brian Williams. I'm Adam Caesar. I'm Stephen Embry. And today we are discussing Voyager's third season episode, Warlord, The Q and the Grey, and Macrocosm. Here we go. Warlord, Season 3, Episode 10, Production Code 152. Original air date, November 20th, 1996. Directed by David Livingston. Story by Andrew Shepard Price and Mark Gaberman. Teleplay by Lisa Klink. Music composed by David Bell. Guest cast include Anthony Cravello as Aiden, Brad Greenquist as Demis, Galen Gorg as Nori, Charles Emmett as Resch, Carl Wiedergott as Amarin, and Lee McCloskey as Tyrion. <laughs> Voyager beams aboard three Aerians just before their damaged ship explodes. A female named Nora, her injured spouse Tyrion, and a man named Aiden. Although the Doctor and Kess try to save him, Tyrion dies. When Voyager arrives at Alaria, the local leader known as the Akurich sends a representative to the ship, and inexplicably, Kess pulls out a phaser, kills the representative and a crew member, and escapes in a stolen shuttlecraft with Aiden and Nori. You're losing Tyrion. Why won't you admit it? I will admit that you've surprised me. Who would have imagined that such fierce determination existed within that deceptively frail body? Don't continue to underestimate me. Adam, why don't you kick us off on Warlord? Warlord, it was a fun episode for Kess. I'm sure she had, um, the actress playing Kess, um, had fun playing a bad guy. I know it's kind of a change of pace. You know, most of the time, um, Kess is kind of, she's the innocent, sweet kid. So I'm sure it was fun for her to, you know, change it up and and be bad. Um, You know, it's, it's an interesting premise. We have this, you know, leader, this dictator, warlord type person, you know, who's trying to live, who was ousted and, but, you know, spent most of his time when he was a leader um, trying to become a mortal. And he's found a way to transfer, you know, his essence, basically, um, um, from person to person. And obviously, he transfers it to Tess, or Kess, rather. And, um, yeah, and then she becomes this megalomaniac who, you know, who who has a soft side and likes flowers and, and things of that nature. So, I mean... You know, I'm not going to say like, oh my God, this is the greatest episode ever. It was fine. I mean, I didn't think it was, it was paced fairly well. Um, I would put it in the, I'd say it was a a good episode. Not good, just below good. But um, yeah, that's how my first thoughts on it were. A ringing endorsement from Adam Caesar. (laughs) (laughs) Good, but not good. Steve? Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest um takeaway for me is Jennifer Lean and the acting. I mean, I think to me it was really solid. I, I really appreciated it. And that's what I found most enjoyable about the episode is her doing this because I thought it was really convincing. Um, the story itself, I think, is interesting. I mean, this kind of thing, you know, we've seen in a number of ways in different, you know, from different outlets or whatever over time. Um, but I thought it was fine, you know, and then there's, there's kind of this strategy surrounding how do we how do we, how are we going to take care of this? And then I thought the, the, you know, besides her acting and, and how well she did this kind of dual character, I also enjoyed the, um, you know, the interactions she had with Tuvok and trying to reach her and that kind of, you know, her fighting back and all of that. I thought that was good. I mean, hey, real quick, I think maybe one of the things I didn't like about the episode is 
I mean, the set, I mean, you know, usually I'm, I, you know, they do a great job, but you know, you really only have one set piece on the planet and it's kind of a drab throne room. And I just don't think it matched the grandioseness of um, this um, Tyran warlord person. So I think that kind of probably held it back for me is like, you know, budgetary constraints on this. I'm with you. I I made a note that to me, this episode. It feels like it takes place in two, you know, on on a couple rooms in Voyager and then this throne room. And there's. It really makes the story feel like it slows down massively that it spends so much time that it just doesn't go anywhere else early on we get to the throne room and then we never leave and you really feel that you, I, you know i was reminded of, i've brought it up before on our podcast but there's that that rule about changing locations every 10 minutes in a feature now those tv episodes a little different but you know the reason they that you do that is I think that we just kind of instinctively start to get a little, <laughs> we get the shakes. We need to, we need to change locations yeah. and uh, it just, it makes it, it stalls it. It really stalls it for me. And it wasn't that impressive to begin with. Um, yeah. There's not much in there. It's like a table and a, and a painting. Yeah. And the control rooms that they control the whole, their whole armies back, you know, so it's all combined. It's, it's a one purpose room kind of thing. So they have a party in there, room. they govern, they, you know, they fine. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. But I think I'm with you guys that, like, well, maybe I think maybe I dislike this episode slightly more than you guys. I'm not dislike. That's not, I mean, I, it's fine. I, it's fine. Uh, but the on, the one thing that's remarkable is Jennifer Lane's performance because she she is really good at and here playing this character and because she does it does feel so different. You normally it doesn't feel that different, you know. Especially this is tough. This is even more difficult because. We see the actual character, right? In her mind, that sequence. Uh, we really see the character. Uh, we really have something to gauge how different he is versus Kess. And I think that Jennifer Lean does a really good job, a remarkably good job of playing something different. I was reminded of, I don't remember the name of it, but the, the DS9 episode where that guy passes his consciousness around, and I think Bashir gets it. Yeah. Um, you know that's that's an example, and and he's a great actor, but I'm not sure that he was. Well, I guess in his case he was trying to be the same, but I don't know. I didn't feel a difference the way that I feel it here, um, with Kess with Jennifer Lean. So yeah, I'm not my favorite episode, but Jennifer Lean is very good and makes makes the episode work for me. You know, you know, we'll get into Kess more towards the end because this is our last season, right? Did we? The last full season, yeah. Last full season, so I, we'll kind of get it. I think they just kind of ran out of things to do with her. So, and I think this was well. A, I think that of... they, I think that they kind of maybe by making her that that goody two shoes thing, they didn't give her kind of boxed her in. Yeah, bit. they kind of boxed her in, and, and we'll get into this a lot whenever uh, seven is added. But it didn't really feel quite fair to Jennifer Lean because. And then you know we've talked about the Neelix relationship. It's just. Is it a relationship or is it not? Yeah, it's kind of strange. Closest, this is the closest we get to them having a breakup. But of course, she was sort of under being controlled by Tyran. So it's not. But we never they never follow up about that. There's never a, hey, remember when we broke up? Was that Tyran or you? Or was there something real there? You know, Maybe we should talk about that. If that happens, we don't see it ever. Yeah. Right. 
So yeah, yeah. I mean, so we, we mentioned this before. There's never really a developed relationship between them where they've kind of set it up and they kind of hint at it here and there, but they, they have different quarters. It's, I, I hate to say that, but it's almost like they're brother and sister as opposed to boyfriend, girlfriend. And that's kind of weird because. Well, we don't know how relationships work, where Kess is from. Well, this is true, but I mean, you know, they could explain that. I mean, maybe it's a, maybe, well, anyway. <laughs> Uh, Steve? Yes. I'm wondering what you thought of the teaser, specifically the <laughs> teaser ending on Neelix's feet. Did that make you, if the purpose of the teaser is to really pull you into the story, um, pull you into that episode in particular, I'm wondering how effective Neelix's feet were. Hmm. Well, uh, let me read you my notes from the first notes here at the top. <laughs> WTF... Clearly a holodeck program, Neelix feet. <laughs> Stupid Neelix dancing short. Thank goodness. Okay, yeah. That's my notes. So Brian, um, I was more taken aback by the beginning of the tease with his face and then the implications for that. I can't actually read my notes. This is a family show, so yeah. I'll, I'll leave it at that. It is a little bit I don't know. It's that it's nineties sexist, right? Nineties sexist where look, it's not sexist. It's not um because uh Roxanne Dawson comes on and brings a, a huscular male Beef muscular cakes. male in. So that means it's not sexist what they, all the stuff we're doing. That's how you did it in the nineties. Everybody got to be sexist in the nineties. And that meant nobody is sexist? Right. Is that how racism works too? <laughs> I guess that's the implication. <laughs> yes, this, uh, this was the first time we. Yeah, this is the um, the beach deck. How long do we get this one for? A few more times this season, at least. Well, I know we get it in the um, the Bumblebee episode, as I like to refer to it. But um... I like there. Just I'm just around trying to find things now. But there's that little brief moment there where Harry and. Um, Tom are improving Neelix's program and the look on Neelix's face, you, you're just, he, he could just anybody else and would say, and based on the look on Neelix's face, you expect him to say, you're ruining it. You're ruining it. You're ruining it. Right. Mm-hmm. But then he's like, it's great. I love it. You know, I was like, you know, I do like this the optimism, the positivity of Neelix. I, I do kind of enjoy that. Is this episode about anything? Um, you can look at it as the duality that we all have inside of us. I mean, you know, it's more pronounced in this episode. She's, in fact, you know, basically taken over by a, a mean, evil dude. But you can kind of look at that in a more personal way. You know, we all have our good and bad sides. And, you know, you know, you wrestle with that throughout your life. And that's kind of that's what I kind of took, kind of, kind of how she did towards the end. You know, you, you have to fight that battle between, you know, you know, good thoughts and bad thoughts in your own mind. And, you know, I think we all can all can relate to that in our own persona and that's kind of what i took out of it yeah i mean it's it's a little different than of course reality because it's literally some alien force occupying your mind but yeah you the closest thing i could come up with i could come up with would be that fighting off your demons you know trying to maintain control over evil impulses and that kind of thing although again i think the the jennifer lean's acting is what's the primary force here i don't know that this episode offers a big you know some kind of moral message or something interesting to ponder much beyond its viewing
All right, let's do six degrees for Warlord. Adam, are you going first or second? Um, I'll go second. Steve, yes. Galen Yorg plays Ilari Nori, Tyrion's unhappy wife. She played Karina Sisko in the DS9 episode, The Visitor. What actor played her character's husband? Oh, um, Tony Todd. Very good. Adam, Brad Greenquist. Greenquist. Brad Green. Green. Wow, I want to say Greenquist. <laughs> yeah. That's and my good. daughter would say it. Yeah, right. <laughs> Thank you. Brad Greenquist plays Demas, the dude that is pretty happy he got stuck on Voyager when the palace got stormed. Mm-hmm. He played Crit in DS9's sixth season in an episode that begins with Morn's funeral. Name the episode. Would that be who mourns for Morn? You are correct. Our score is one. Wow. It's only once every three years I get an episode question right. So, <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. The Q and the Gray, Season 3, Episode 11, Production Code 153. Original air date, November 27th, 1996. Directed by Cliff Bold. Story by Sean Piller. Teleplay by Kenneth Biller. Music composed by Dennis McCarthy. Guest cast include John Delancey as Q, Susie Plaxon as Q, and Harv Presnell as Q. Captain Janeway is surprised when Q appears in her quarters. Q is intent on Janeway becoming the mother of his child and tries to seduce the captain with gifts in an attempt to win her affection, such as an Irish setter puppy. Janeway is not amused and demands that Q leave immediately. However, Q's absence does not last long as he abducts the captain and takes her to the Q Continuum, now appearing as an American Civil War period. A star going supernova is an event that occurs once every century in this galaxy. Now we're about to witness our third in less than three days, all in the same sector. Why do I suspect you have something to do with this? She may be a member of an intellectually challenged species, but she's right. Your irresponsible behavior is continuing to have cosmic consequences. Would you stop overreacting? Always nagging. Now you see why I left her. Are you causing these supernovas? Steve, kick us off on the Q and the gray. Well, as I think we've kind of alluded to, I think, um, you know, John Delancey and Kate Mulgrew have a good chemistry. And so, you know, the Q Janeway stuff, I think that works pretty well. Although I don't like this episode as well as I like the one, the Q episode prior to it. Um, I mean, I think I get what they're trying to do and all, but mostly it's just a whole lot of kind of, you know, comic stuff on the ship. And then they uh, do the whole Civil War bit. And I, I get where they're going with the clash inside the continuum. But um, despite that, it, you know, the fact that I guess it's got cosmic consequences here, their, their war, it just never feels like we have much of a stake in the game or something like that. So, you know, I, I, it's certainly a memorable episode, obviously, given the whole Civil War theme and Q and all that. And, of course, he's good as always, but, um, you know, and it's fine. But I don't think it's one of the better Q episodes, really. Adam? Um, I would agree with Steve. I mean, this. I mean, I liked it fine too. Um, but as far as Q episodes go, I put it in the in the lower half of of episodes that, uh, that the Q was featured in. Um, it's, it's like one of so the better Q episodes with a cute puppy, though. I'd put for it on there. Sure, yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> um, yeah, I I enjoy the episodes where Q is actually teaching a lesson, you know, um, what is it? Tapestry. It was not tapestry. Um, 
the one where Picard is, takes Picard back as a student. Um, yeah, you know, that's all, Tapestry. Tapestry, okay, and then all good things, you know. When when there's a real, you know, kind of lesson learned, um, all good things, you know, Q is telling Picard that it's not the exploration of space, it's the exploration of mind. And that's that's where I enjoy um, Q most, um, you know, and obviously you get the he can be comical and you know devious and that's fun stuff too but i kind of felt i didn't take much out of this episode as far as far as that goes it's it's goofy and it's it's okay and it's it's fun there's fun moments and i enjoyed john delance's q it's great i'll take i'll take him as q all day even in an episode like this so this is an episode i enjoyed and i'll definitely watch again but um like i said i agree with steve it's just it falls short for me as far as q episodes go the one thing i like in this episode a lot i think is is oddly effective or surprisingly effective is this using the civil war as this big like you know metaphor or something so that that uh little mere mortal human beings can understand you know but they they take it so far and i i don't know my, my brain is like trying to like imagine like what what is this part really hap- like you know uh I don't remember. Somebody puts a gun to the back of the to the um, Confederate general's head. You know, it's like you know, drop it or surrender or something. Like, I'm like I'm trying to imagine. So, what is that really happening? Because you've got that's not a cue back there. That's like Tom Paris or somebody from the. You know, so how are they interacting? You know, I don't know. There's just something fun about taking it as far as they do and keep saying that it's all this metaphor. And I don't know that they ever go quite that far with it before, or, or uh, if they ever did before, or they ever will again. Uh, so they're really they're really pushing the limits of my brain, you know. And I I enjoy that sitting on the edge there, you know. The in Death Wish, which we are right, yeah, it's called Death Wish, which we agree maybe is a better episode. But they do something similar, you know, when they go to that, I don't know, the dirt road, the way station the way station he kind of plays or whatever. But here it's taken much more to the extreme, the way they're interacting with the Q continuum. Uh, so I really like that aspect of it. That's fun. We haven't even mentioned the female Q. I think that she's she's effective. I don't know about the baby bit at the end. Maybe that's yeah. that's that's grounding Q in a way that maybe I don't need, but it's, <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. There's a little uh, in joke with the Klingon statement that Susie yeah. Blackson makes. Yeah. So Brian, I think I kind of disagree with you about the Civil War stuff. I didn't. It didn't bother me at the beginning because you know they'd set this up prior in the, in the other episode. But you know, once Voyager Voyager crew got there, it was kind of like it kind of jumped the shark for me. It was just like it was a little bit too much. And I look at this idea that they were trying to to do in this episode. You know the the continuing continuum having this, you know, um, I don't know, I guess an evolutionary stage change, you know, you know, factions going in each, each other, which is a really big, big idea. And um, I don't know, it just, to me, I see what they were trying to do. It just didn't translate that, that well for me. And I, I was with, like I said, I was with them until the Voyager crew got there and it, I don't know, it just kind of seemed goofy at that point. And it kind of, All right. me. Steve, Settle this for us. <laughs> I, I don't guess I felt as strongly about it either way, to be honest with you. I don't want to just sit them on the fence about it. But, I mean, you know, th- th- I think it's commendable. They try, you know. It's, it's really impossible to convey 
something that's on some it's abstract kind of dimensional plane that we can't even fathom that kind of thing you know so this notion of it they're basically making it an accessible universe for humans that they also can take part in you know with the weapons but say they're not really you know civil war weapons but something that could actually kill a, you know it, it's kind of like okay you know you just have to, have to accept it i mean i think it's commendable to try to do it i'm not saying it's um ineffective you know uh doing that um i'd be interested in seeing if they had like a huge budget how you would try to convey the you know the q continuum you know and in, in, in some way that humans could fathom but I think given their budget and the time and an episodic television, I think it was, it was good. I, I did, you know, I liked that fine. It wasn't like I found it tedious, the civil war setting, you know what I mean? Um, so I thought it was as good as anything to convey the nature of the, of the war and so on. So one thing I got a reference, maybe laugh out loud when Plaxon shows up and she says something about that dog. Yes. Right? And then you see the joke coming a mile away, but then she's like, I'm not talking about the puppy. Yeah. That that's fine. That's funny. Great. But what made me laugh out loud is, is the look on John Delancey's face. Like that yeah. big, Oh, he makes with his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. That is so funny. They, they might use a little bit different language if it was on, uh, you know, current <laughs> Star Trek. Yep. Yep. What is this episode about? Kind of what I had down, you know, is if you become too rigid in your ways, you can die. So you have to like be open to change and and evolution. I think that's kind of what they they were trying to say with the Q continuum. You said it's kind of abstract in this, and you know I, I agree with Steve. It's like you know it'd be great to see this like this kind of idea brought into a movie and see what they would could kind of do with it or with a movie budget. But this kind of like what I what I kind of got is like you you have to evolve and change or things collapse type kind of message. Yeah, I, I I don't know that it was. It's you know it's a super strong episode, so it's maybe not delivering that message. But more or less, I would agree with that. You know, you have the, um, you know, sometimes, you know, some uh, it's not going to say a war is necessary, but you know, you're going to have two sides on an issue and there's going to be, you know, you're going to have to come together ultimately and find a way to solve a, a problem. And, uh, so, you know, again, we don't know exactly how this manifests itself on some level that we can't understand in the Q continuum, this war, this debate, whatever it is, but, uh, you know, sooner or later you do have to, um, you know, evolve or die. So, um, yeah, that's usually going to end up in something like a conflict. So, I don't know. Again, I don't think it's that strong of an episode, so I'm not sure how well it hit the mark, but yeah. All right, let's do six degrees for the Q and the gray. Steve, I'm giving you this one since you sort of brought it up. Susie Plaxon plays the female Q. She previously played Worf's lady friend and Alexander's mama on Next Gen. Name her character. Uh... Kalar? Name her Klingon character. Kalar, that is correct. Adam, she will later play Terra in Enterprise's second season in the episode Ceasefire. What species is Terra? Um, Alorian? Alorian. I guess that's wrong. Well, I don't ever recall there being Alorians no, sorry. Um, on Enterprise. Because those are like Guinness. Endorians. Endorians is what I'm. Endorians. I think that's what you meant. I'm going to give that one to you. 
That's what you meant the first yes. time, right? Yeah. yeah. Halorians right. and Dorians. <laughs> two to two. Wow. My questions must be too easy today. Moving on. Macrocosm, Season 3, Episode 12, Production Code 154. Original air date, December 11th, 1996. Directed by Alexander Singer. Written by Brandon Braga. Music composed by Dennis McCarthy. Guest cast include Michael Fiske as Miner and Albie Selznick as Tac Tac Trader. Captain Janeway and Neelix return to Voyager after completing a trade mission with the Tat Tat race, but find the ship adrift with no signs of life but no apparent damage. Aboard, they investigate the empty ship when Neelix is sprayed with a liquid substance by an unseen creature, leaving him faint and weak. When Janeway goes to locate medical supplies, Neelix is abducted by an unknown life form. Thereafter, Janeway makes her way to the bridge to send out a distress signal and assess the situation. Were any other gel packs infected? No, just the one in the mess hall. The ship is healthy. It's the crew we have to worry about. Your bones have healed, but the surrounding tissue will be sensitive for a few days. Oh, it's getting warmer in here. I'm afraid it's not just the ship, Captain. It's also you. You've been infected with the macrovirus here, experiencing a high fever. Looking over my notes, I, I believe this is the first time I have ever written the phrase alien goo hole. <laughs> hmm, fun. For the most part, this episode feels like uh, everything in it is stuff that we've seen multiple times before maybe mixed around a little differently. Um, but there's not really anything new in this episode with the sort of exception of, I mean, at the time having those creatures be CG, I guess was a little bit newfangled, but who cares now? <laughs> the only other thing, the thing that I actually enjoy the most out of this episode is that long stretch kind of in the first portion where you know, after Neelix gets taken, uh, Janeway is on her own for a while, and there's no dialogue. It's quite a bit where it's just picture, you know, images and music and sound effects, and there's not any dialogue. And she's, you know, gearing up and going through the ship, and I enjoyed that, and it kind of made me think. I don't know. I wish we, I wish we got a little more of that sometimes. I mean, that's something you can get in features, but. Star Trek features maybe, but not so much on the on the television shows because they tell the story with dialogue most of the time. It's a lot more economical <laughs> to do that. So it felt unique, and I kind of enjoyed that. That was the that was the one thing that that kind of stuck out to me in a positive way from this episode. Steve, your first thoughts? Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, it felt like I mean I didn't didn't hate it, but. It did feel like, okay, this, we've seen this kind of thing before. I will say, I, I hate bugs. I don't know if I've mentioned that before. I'm just really anti-bugs. So this is really disturbing. Um, the buzzing and the huge things that can sting you and stuff kind of creep me out. But um, but yeah, it seems like a lot of the same old stuff. And it is interesting about the long stretches of not dialogue, assuming it's something's going on, can seem like it's better paced than long stretches of tiresome dialogue. You know, Um coming going back to your reference brian on that but um yeah otherwise the only interesting things i found in this episode were things that just kind of were moved like things that we see moving the series along i mean in the last few we've seen references to the mobile emitter which we see used more and more often they kind of pointed out in fact you know it's kind of a thing um also we have flat out flirting between paris and torres now um 
that obviously leads to more down the line. So that's, you know, something, but yeah, overall it's just kind of, I don't want to say silly, but you know, it's CGI and goo and so on, you know, but. Yeah. How many times have we seen the solution to the, the episode be get to environmental controls and disperse some agent in the yeah. air filtration, air, air system. Right. Not, not just once, like many multiple yeah. times we've seen that in yeah. Star Trek. I would have rather something interesting like, you know, they um, create some giant fly swatter with the, yeah. in the cargo bay and then just go at it on those things or something. But yeah, you know. Adam, your first thoughts? Yeah, I would agree with you guys. It's kind of, the episode's fine. I didn't, you know, it's it's well paced and it's it's somewhat interesting. I mean, <clears throat> basically, you know, every captain gets this episode, you know, it's kind of a rite of passage that they, you know, kind of have to save the ship on their own. Um, but I agree with you guys that they, I kind of wish they would have found a little more interesting or original way to kind of tell this, this captain genre type episode as, as I like to call it. Um, the one thing, how are the one thing maybe you guys can answer me this. I'm like, how are these things flying? There's no wings. I couldn't, I just, it bothered me. It's like, you get these big things are just kind of floating in the air with no, they're just, uh, how are they flying? I don't didn't quite get that. It's never explained. So that's beside the point uh steve will explain that to you right now steve well um oh my mic's cutting out <laughs> oh. okay there so, i mean that, that was it yeah there's this kind of floating blobs i mean i i mean i kind of re- refer to this as the, the bumblebee episode because they're not they don't look like bees but i mean they kind of sound like them and they have a stinger um but that that aside, I mean, it's like I said, it's it's a fine episode. It's it's kind of an action driven episode. Um, you know, with what what you were saying, Brian, they kind of moved the story at a point with no dialogue, which was interesting. And um, pairing Neelix and Janeway together alone, that was kind of funny there in the beginning. You know, the the ambassador language type stuff. Neelix doing all the hand movements. It was it was amusing. Um, in a kind of a creative way to kind of, I don't think I've seen that kind of language type thing used with the different species. So I found that was kind of an interesting, clever way to kind of communicate between species. So that, I had that down in my notes, but yeah, all those are my thoughts on this episode. I felt um, you guys were saying you thought it was paced. All right. But I kind of felt like it slowed down a lot when they had the first flashback and you realized, Oh, there's going to be a bunch of flashbacks now. Maybe that's just because we came out of that. Um, all action and motion, no dialogue sections, and then went straight into expositiony flashback. But the I like that kind of, yeah, I felt like that kind of slowed the pace down a lot for me and hurt the episode a little. I mean, I like the scenes with the doctor going on the away mission. Those were kind of interesting. Going on his first away mission. I mean, it's all technical stuff, but it's just because I like the doctor, and it was kind of cool to get to see him go on his own. Did you guys remember this episode very well? I remembered it. Like I said, I remembered it. I, in my mind, it's the Bumblebee episode. Yeah, I remember it. It was the gross bug buzzing episode. Maybe we've been desensitized to this sort of thing. Maybe it was creepier back then. You know, meaning we've seen more modern, better CG and creepier right, things right. like this. And I, I did like the trick they played on the bridge. You know, you know, we kind of got you know up until that point, we've gotten an idea that these kind of creatures are bigger because you know you see neelix get sprayed and then you see the you know the point of view of the i guess when it's small it's kind of and you think she's going to get attacked by something big and it ends up just kind of being like a mosquito bite i I like that little trick playing with the audience's perception 
what is this episode about? I had a hard time coming up with something that this episode is about. I mean, um, you, you know, this, like I said, I, this feels like a kind of almost like a genre within a genre. I mean, you know, the captain having to save the ship, you know, kind of on their own. So it's kind of like a rite of passage for Janeway. I don't know. I had a hard time coming up with this episode's about. I mean, so I'll toss it out to Steve because I'm just babbling at this point. <laughs> yeah, I, re- I really don't. I can't come up with anything. I, yeah, I'm not even going to pretend. Brian, what did you think this episode was about? Oh yeah, let me tell you. It's okay. It... <laughs> Your microphone's cutting out, Brian. Oh, did that happen again? For me? <laughs> that was um, genius. I know. <laughs> um, why don't you guys order? Today's three episodes. What is the best best to least here? You got Warlord, um, Q in the Gray, Microcosm. Well, you say Microcosm is probably the, my least of the of the three. Um, I think I was entertained by Q in the Gray more than all the other episodes, but I kind of think Warlord was the better of all, like the, the better written, acted, and and put together episode. I don't know, but it's close. Yeah, I mean, it's there's there's no absolutely solid episode in all respects here, in my opinion. But I would go one, two, three from the start, just because, not because I think, you know, like um, Warlord is so awesome, but just because of that acting display is so compelling and entertaining. And then, you know, Q and the Gray, not bad, you know, whatever. And then this one was just totally more or less forgettable. So that's my opinion. Yeah, we both remember it, Steve, all these years later. <laughs> I guess memorable in terms of Trek episodes is <laughs> all relative there. All right, let's do six degrees for macrocosm. Steve, are you going first or second? I'll go first. Alby Selznick plays the Tac Tac Council. He played a juggler in Next Gen's fifth season in the episode Cost of Living. Who is on board to get married in that episode? Loxana uh, um, Troy. All right, Adam, let's see if you can tie it. I've already got two, so I'm happy. <laughs> uh, Ron Moore, as in the FX guy, not the writer, has said he believes the CGI macroviruses in this episode paved the way for and inspired the writers with confidence to create what species? Um, what spe- species in this series? Yes. Oh, what the heck are their names? Mm. It's a number. Looking for a number. Yeah, I don't. I'm gonna kick myself when I. I, I know I can picture in my head, and I know what you're talking about. But for life, of me can't remember the their number designation. Steve, is it eight four seven two? Yes, it is. Steve takes it for the day. This might have been the closest we ever got to each of you getting every one of your questions. I don't. I'm not sure if that's ever happened. It probably has all these years. I'm sure it has, but I don't really remember that. So, 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 congratulations, Adam, for screwing that up. <laughs> 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 well, I think, I think eight four well, seven two is tough. I will give you. I'm not sure I would have come up with that. I thought we did it last episode. I thought we both got all three because we did. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> that would be perfect. Let's see, I don't know. Yeah, that happened, happened last. There's a blurb in two we, weeks ago. There it is. Well, wait, wait, wait. Last time we only asked. I only asked four questions. I didn't ask six. Mm. So I, we did. Future's end is one. All right. I think we got. I want to say we got all. But who knows? See, might have, but that doesn't count. That'd only be four questions. I'm talking about six. six. We talk about getting that question. I mean, I don't remember stuff like that anymore. I mean, that just that just kind of 
shows how just the epitome of my nerdiness back then, because for some reason you say it and I visualize it and it's like the number eight, four, seven, you know, there's no, that doesn't happen anymore to me. I mean, I know it's age and, but it's also my nerdiness with it back. Then. Wait, I don't quite follow you. Explain. I, I, I just, I think I would have obsessed over stuff back then like that, you know, like being a big fan. I mean, I probably saw eight, four, seven, two in print a million times or close to it. And, you know, just read it over and over again and looked into it and read about, you know, that kind of stuff. And now, um, say, um, the newest series had a species that we went by a number. It'd probably take me <laughs> months oh, to yeah. forcibly remember that number, you know, or something, you know, and I yeah. wouldn't keep it for a year, you know, what, yeah. what, are, what are you saying, Steve, you've grown up and you have a wife and a kid and a fan, you know, and all these other responsibilities. Uh, that or I'm you know, time to rewatch Discovery, you know, 20 times to memorize every... Not knocking it. any listeners that do that. I very much enjoyed doing that back in the day, Yeah. All right, that concludes episode 204 of our podcast. Not much news going on. I, I know the short treks are premiering pretty soon, but I think we've talked about at least I'm not planning to... I'm not going to pay for a CBS All Access subscription just for the short stuff. I probably will because it's... Yeah. I'll, I mean, I certainly will. I'm assuming it's going to be there for me to watch when I re-up in January to watch season two, and then I'll just, I'll watch all the short stuff then. All right, so you can follow us on Facebook, facebook.com slash trekcompanion. Our Twitter handle is at trekcompanion. Send us an email, trekcompanion at gmail.com. You could leave a review for us on iTunes. That's how people find us. I don't think anybody's done that in a while. That'd be really cool if you did that. Um... We're going to be back in two weeks to discuss the next three episodes of Star Trek Voyager. So until next time, take it easy. Bye, guys. See ya. I passed it.